We are back. It's Chase and Josh for Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh, and we're here to give you the final episode in Season 3 of The Mandalorian. Here today, we are going to be tackling Episode 8. It's still not over yet, though, because next week we are going to be doing a rankings episode. But before that, we are here today to run through the very last episode in this season. Very exciting. A lot of action. You know, it just builds off of last week's episode, which also had a lot of action. So, real cool stuff here today. Make sure you tune in. And before we get started, I'll turn the floor over to Chase to say a few words. Yeah, man, this is it. We're at the peak of the mountain. This is it. After today, uh, we, of course, have a little bonus one for you. But no new episodes of Season 3 of The Mandalorian will be covered. So... Let's get it going, man. Let's get a malice in the chalice before we get started in the finale right on a good note. Cheers, my man. I'll let you take it. Cheers, brother. Let's do it. So the episode starts out. We have Bo-Katan telling Axe Woves about Moff Gideon's plans and tells him to use the captain ship as a decoy because they have to beat them on the ground because they're unable to defeat them in the air because of their uh, large army they have in the air there. Bo-Katan then continues to hold off Moff Gideon on the ground with what we saw last episode. And uh, grenades and, you know, you have those, uh, I guess they're called dark troopers. Is that what they're called in the black suits that they have? I don't know exactly what they're called. They're not dark troopers because we saw those in season two, but I don't know if there's a specific name for his people yeah, that he uses. They, it's interesting, right? Because they call them Imperials to start with, but I think that's just a name for anyone that you know has ties to the Empire. But I'm looking at the uh, captions throughout the show. It was calling them like uh, commandos, like like the Imperial commandos. But you know, uh, Moff Gideon didn't mention that they were like the new Dark Trooper suit. They're all in white. It's all made of Beskar alloy. So just kind of depends on what you want to call it. I've been calling them Imperial Commando Troopers, but that's just me. Cool. We'll go with that. <laughs> so the Imperial Commando Troopers, you know, they're firing on them, throwing grenades. Now this time, we kind of cut back to where we left off last episode that Jay Nelly took us through. And Din Djarin is starting to fight back against the troops that took him captive. He's using his flamethrower, but then Grogu... Saving the day again <laughs> with IG-11. You know, he has that little suit where he, like, commands him. He even put a little suit on him. <laughs> and, uh, he's it's, like, it's the new and improved oh, one, man. It's IG-12, bro. It's not IG-11. It's IG-12. Oh, IG-12. Yeah, IG-12. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was badass, though. Looks a lot like IG-11, but IG-12. But it was badass, you know. And they're helping him fight him off. And then Din Djarin goes after Moff Gideon. As Bo-Katan is attempting to get everyone else to safety, and Moff Gideon is informed that the group's capital ship will soon be destroyed, uh, and Din Djarin has escaped. And Moff Gideon decides to go after Din Djarin himself. It kind of reminded me of Thanos a little bit when he's like, I'll do it myself, and then goes after him. It was awesome. So Axe Wobes, during the meantime, is commanding his troops to use the capital ship, as that decoy, so he's relayed the message Bo-Katan gave him and tells his crew to leave the capital ship, and he's going to take over alone at this point. With the help of R5, so remember R5, the droid that Din Djarin got before, 
Uh, so they deactivate the barrier shields. And these barrier shields, they remind me of Star Wars Episode One, man. I'm so glad you <laughs> said that, dude. I'm so, I had that written down, too. It reminded me of, like, in The Phantom Menace when they had to keep running through before they were getting to Darth Maul. And it kept coming back up and going back down and stuff. That yeah, was really cool. I, I'm glad that you made that connection. See, I feel like that's what would have made it better. If Darth Maul was waiting on the other side, <laughs> then we would have been like, oh, fuck. This is the best season ever, but... You know, we gotta we gotta take what we're given. <laughs> Anyways, so back to this point. So Din Djarin makes it to the command center and takes out the enemy troopers in a hand to hand combat, and uh, he's taking them out one by one, uh, and is picking up enemy like I called them the electric staff and shields. Were those uh, like enemy things in there? Um, were they in The Last Jedi? Just a quick question. I think I saw some of them in The Last Jedi at one point. Like when Rey and um, Rey and you had Kylo Ren that like went in that room with Snoke. I think maybe some of them were in there. But Yeah, they, they did. Good catch. I think some of the guards had those as weapons. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Anyways, not important, but <laughs> just... Uh, uh, take you off course there for a second but Din Djarin then shoots the final enemy troops in the head and the last barrier shield opens and um, at this point in the command center Grogu and IG-12 and Din Djarin see Moff Gideon clones in those Bakta tanks so that's kind of that full circle moment we were mentioning in passing that might come up so here we are <laughs> so Bo-Katan at this point and the rest of the group finds the cave um, and plans to like take refuge in there during the meantime. But Bo-Katan is informed that reinforcements have arrived and the group jets off uh, to go take back their planet all together. And she leads the way, lighting up the Darksaber. Like, kind of reminded me of Three Musketeers or something. Like, all for one, one for all. Honestly, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of when the fucking, in, in uh, Endgame, when they came through those portals and all of a sudden you had all the good guys <laughs> rushing at all the bad guys. It was fucking cool, man. I, I, I put that on there. Gave a little bit of, like, Helm's Deep vibes, too, where we're just going at the, the forces and we're, we're seeing what's what. We gotta take this back. We're gonna have to go the hard way and we gotta, gotta go through them. You know, so I thought that was pretty fucking cool. That was good. I love the Helm's Deep reference. For Rohan! <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. That was sick, man. Great point. Um, so at this point, then Moff Gideon troops and the Mandalore, as they're jetting together, this was sick. They collided midair and taking each other down. So you have this fight in the air, which is badass, throwing down on each other. Then we cut back to Din Djarin, and he encounters Moff Gideon in the command center. Well, and real Moff quick, Gideon, real quick too. Yeah. I just want to put this out there. And you had mentioned that Din Djarin had gotten to the room when he saw the Moff Gideon clones in the Bakta tanks. He destroyed them. I think that's important to, to okay. notate that yeah, he he did destroy yeah. all of those things, and that's probably going to get into the monologue you're about to say here. But definitely important to notate that he didn't just leave those things there. He he got rid of them. So, great point. Great point. So, uh, but yeah, anyways, he encounters him in the command center and Moff Gideon claims he was isolating his clone's potential so he could have used uh, the force, used them as a force to make an unstoppable army. So I guess we were kind of getting more of this Clone Wars kind of vibe 2.0. I don't know. What do you think of that? 
Well, yeah, I think the whole thing was he mentioned something in his you know, monologue to Din Djarin. He was talking about how these clones were his plan was to have them be like in his words like perfection because he they were, he was gonna give them what he himself never had which is the force he never had the ability to utilize the force and that's what he was going to be doing with these clones is is providing them you know from i don't know if they were gonna that, that the original plan was to use grogu who was force sensitive or whatever but the whole plan was to give his moff gideon clones the force and then he'd basically be unstoppable and that was his plan there but yeah man the clones are definitely uh definitely a big part of this this series for sure which side note on that is that even do you think clones could even do that because i feel like that's more of like a jedi thing like for instance if you tried to teach din Djarin to use the force i don't know if he would be capable of doing something like that like how grogu can i don't think it's about like training or teaching the force it's more about utilizing the the science and, and like you know the dna so I believe like the the metachlorians are in the DNA of force sensitive individuals, and so you'd be like kind of extracting that DNA and trying to put it in and, and intertwine, kind of like how Dr. Pershing in that summit was talking about utilizing the best attributes of both donors in their DNA and creating a you know in his mind it was for his mom to you know survive that that illness and you know, obviously he didn't complete his research in time and she passed away. But something along those lines is that it's not that he's going to teach or, or train them to use a force. He's going to utilize a force-sensitive individual and take strands of their DNA and, and mesh it with the clone. And so that way, basically, his clones would have the metachlorians in them, making him force-sensitive. And then at some point, being, them being able to utilize the force is, is my thought process on that. Makes sense, 100%. Absolutely. I could definitely see that, especially with... You know, that's why when they went to go get Anakin, he was such a big deal because he had such a high medical count. So great point on that. Um, so anyways, Din Djarin rushes in and he's firing upon Moff Gideon here. He tackles him, but Moff Gideon gets up, punches him down. As I called him, the Red Troopers. Those things that we kind of saw in The Last Jedi, yeah, the, the, I guess. the three Praetorian guards, man. Those things were fucking cool. And then that, that same sort of song that uh, that comes with them, that, the thing that almost signifies death. It's like, it's like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, but three of these <laughs> Red uh, Praetorian guards. It was cool. It's uh, that sinister... You know the music that, to announce their entrance in the room. You know, Mando was already having a hard time getting his ass whipped by uh, Moff Gideon, and then all of a sudden these guards come in too. And we saw what these guards did last week. They killed Paz Vizsla, but again, Paz Vizsla had already utilized all his weapons. Was exhausted from taking out like 50 of those, you know, uh, Imperial Commando troopers, and and then he ended up overtaking them. But yeah, man, to your point, like now we're 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 at this point where Din Djarin he's already having enough issues with Moff Gideon alone now you're gonna add three more of these badasses to it doesn't look good for him (laughs) absolutely so then uh they stab Din Djarin while he's laying on the ground and then IG-12 and Grogu enter in here they come to save the day (laughs) yeah then they enter and then uh those troopers chase after them and Din Djarin tries to follow but Moff Gideon launches a rocket that smashes into Din Djarin's back and then he grapples him and is like pulling him back while the door locks on IG-12 and Grogu in the room with those troopers which I'll just call them troopers because I'm not the best with names but you know what I mean <laughs> anyways those little electric staff motherfuckers trying to fuck shit up so they're locked in there and then Bo-Katan 
continues to shoot down enemy troopers in armor, is like smashing people with her hammer midair like Thor's thunder. It was badass fuck. <laughs> Anyways, then those troopers cut down IG-12, but Grogu pulls a Grogu again, flips in the air, and continue to dodge attacks as he's hanging on this overhanging ledge and it's like running across back and forth. So then we cut back to Moff Gideon here and meanwhile he lights Din Djarin on fire with his flamethrower. Din Djarin is getting his ass handed to him right now. It's no contest right now. And then Din Djarin begins to fight back but they start going blow for blow while Bo-Katan is cutting down enemy forces outside and she flies in and tackles Gideon and tells him, I've got this, go save your kid. So once again, Bo-Katan saving the fucking day. You know, we've seen Din Djarin get his ass handed to him by fucking cyber spiders and cave trolls. Bo-Katan is saving the day again, and now against the big bad, here we are. We gotta have someone to help him out, because clearly he needs to go back to martial arts class. Anyways, <laughs> Gideon at this point tells Bo-Katan, she says, Bo-Katan Kreez, what's it gonna be this time? Surrender or fight? And then he lights his electric double-sided staff. It was fucking sick, man. As Bo-Katan lights the Darksaber and the two face off. It was very, like, cinematic kind of moment. It was sick. And then we back to Grogu here. So Grogu... Cut, is cut down from the ledge above and he falls and then the metals falling like the overhang falls on top of him and as these troopers approach him and Din Djarin uh, approach him Din Djarin shoots him behind shoots like the troopers behind and then they start attacking him and begin to overtake him again because once again Din Djarin's getting his ass handed to him because he can't handle his own at this point against Bro, the big dude, daddies. It's three, it's three <laughs> Praetorian guards against just him. Like these things were hired guns. They're a, they're the protector. They're like assassins, like in a way, or like people who uh, protect against assassins. These Praetorian guards are badasses, man. <laughs> they're tough to deal with. And then obviously Moff, yeah, and Gideon, he's like the ultimate villain. Like Din Djarin's doing the best he can, man. You better give him some. <laughs> Oberyn Martell has lost his way. He has lost his way. It reminded me of Wedding Crashers. Every time I come over here, you're on your ass again. <laughs> Every time I come over here, you're on your ass. <laughs> Anyways, back to it. So at this point, uh, so they're overtaking Din Djarin, but Grogu throws them off with the force because, you know, someone else has to help Din Djarin again. <laughs> so Grogu using his force that he learned from Luke Skywalker, uh, enhanced with Luke Skywalker, he's kicking some ass here. And then Bo-Katan in the other room slices Gideon six times, hits his chest plate, and Gideon, despite this though, forces her back with that electric staff. Back to Grogu here, with the help of Grogu and the force, uh, Din Djarin is able to stop the troopers. And uh, Din Djarin looks at him and he just goes, You did good, kid. Yeah, of course he did, because your ass would be grass. <laughs> so, much for, so much for that trial by combat you just had. You took on the fucking mountain, and then now you're getting your ass kicked by some people in red? Fuck off. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck's going on over there. But anyways, luckily we got Grogu over here. When the student becomes the teacher. Gideon says, 
hand over the Darksaber and I'll give you a warrior's death. And then Bo-Katan in rage slashes frantically. You know, she's blood drunk again. Remind me like 300 style. And then Gideon stops her and grasps the handle of the Darksaber and crushes it. And it falls to the ground. Then Gideon rips Bo-Katan's helmet off and punches her backwards and says, The Darksaber is gone. You've lost everything. The Mandalorians are weak once they lose their trinkets. That was a badass monologue. And Bo-Katan says, The Mandalorians are stronger together. And of course, Din Djarin enters and is firing away at Gideon, justified style. And then the captain ship at this time were... Uh, uh, Woves, Alex Woves. A- How do you Ax- say his name again? Axe Woves. Axe Woves. Axel Rose. <laughs> Axe Woves is piloting the ship as a decoy. And it plummets to Earth on fire. And Axe Woves breaks a window and jets packs out of the ship before it hits the ground. As the ship is plummeting towards the base, Gideon is firing on Dinjarin, pinning him down. But Bo-Katan saves him with her laser shield, and Bo-Katan charges directly at Gideon, and Grogu forces Gideon back with the force, and Din Djarin then slides in, firing at Gideon again, so these guys are going back and forth. But as it plummets to the ground, Moff Gideon is caught in the explosion of the ship, and the area is engulfed in flames. But once again, Grogu saves everyone's ass. Grogu stops the flames from harming them with the Force, and Bo Katan and Din Djarin it has a shield around them that Grogu has made. And uh, then at this point, then you see. Um, you have the foundling before that was taken by the pterodactyl he is like able to um be part of the creed at this point as we as everything kind of is coming to a close real, here. real quick uh, to that point right before this part there's something that's really important that that talks about it kind of uh, uh alludes to what we, we talked about last week because before he starts taking that oath again his name's ragnar by the way but before he starts mm-hmm. taking his oath again they do something. They light the fucking forge. They got three. Yeah, they light. Yeah. They light the forge before they get the ceremony going, and that really leads some questions of what we talked about last week. You know, so because uh, he's he's taking his oath in front of these living waters here, and all of a sudden this forge is right where the living waters are, and all three of the uh, engines of it are, are all fired up with blue flames. You know, so anyways, I just wanted to, to make sure that we talked about that because we talked about this last <laughs> week. You know, so uh, I'll, I'll let you continue on though. Sorry for interrupting you. No, great point, great point. Uh, and so at this point, then Din Djarin tells the armorer that Grogu is his apprentice and to let him accept this song, which is, the song is like the oath that we were talking about. Um, and what was his name? The found, I called him the foundling pterodactyl. <laughs> yeah, his name? his name's Ragnar. Ragnar, okay, just like Ragnar uh, did, like his oath. So the armorer says he is too young because he cannot speak, but Din Djarin says that he could if his parents allowed it. But because Grogu's parents are far away, Din Djarin says he accepts him as his son. So now you have this father-son moment, and Grogu is officially Din Djarin's apprentice at this point and is given the song, so the oath, and is now called Din Grogu, badass. And uh, the armorer says Din Djarin must now take Grogu on his journeys because 
he is his apprentice. So now we know Grogu is here to stay. So he's not going to be going off with Luke again. And then at this point, we kind of cut to another moment, and the mythosaur opens its eyes underwater. Uh, kind of full circle to what we were talking about last week. Yeah, I mean, it didn't just open its eyes willy-nilly. The whole thing is is that Grogu touched the living waters, and I don't know if he reached out using the Force or if just the, the contact of Grogu's hand with the water did this, but that's what caused the mythosaur to open its eyes was Grogu touching the water. So I'm curious if he you know, utilized the Force because he, he maybe recognized something was underneath the waters, Grogu did, because Force-sensitive individuals can kind of sense things like that. So I'm not sure if he reached out using the Force or if he just touched the water and like you know the, the touching of the water did that or whatnot. But like, yeah, that's what caused the mythosaur to open its eyes. So uh, you got this whole thing here with uh, is there a connection between Grogu and, and, and the mythosaur now? Are they, you know, uh, is mythosaur uh, responding to Grogu or, or did he really reach out or is it just coincidence? I guess, you know, it's something we'll find out in later seasons. Great point. Great point. So then uh, Bo-Katan lights the engines leading the Mandalorian. Din Djarin and Grogu go see uh, Carson Teva, is that his name? Carson Teva at the bar that we've seen from the previous episode. And Din Djarin asks Carson Teva to work for the New Republic because he has to be more selective on his assignments because of Grogu and says that he only wants um, the droid for parts, which speaking of IG, I called it IG-11. <laughs> IG-11's head. Um, and then at the end here, we see Din Djarin returns with Grogu to Navarro, and I guess you can call it IG-11, IG-12. IG-11, I guess I would say, right? Yeah, IG-11's fully intact and becomes the new marshal to protect the citizens. How is that for a full circle moment where I told you his ass was going to become justified on that fucking planet, and here we are, all this Moff Gideon shit was bullshit, because in the end, it was really just to make sure he became the marshal of the planet. Well, <laughs> Din Djarin's not the marshal of the planet. They made IG-11 the marshal IG-11, yeah, but I'm sure he's going to help him out anyways. Sure. But, <laughs> great point. So, anyways, uh, that was the episode. That was the finale. It was sick. What are your thoughts on this episode and takeaways? Yeah. Yeah, I'll get into that in just a second. There's just a couple things I wanted to add towards the end there for when, like, he, man who goes to the bar and talks to Captain Teva about, you know, taking up bounties again and, and being more specific about it. Mando basically tells him that he wants to be an independent contractor for the New Republic and take uh, bounties on a case-by-case -case basis. And, you know, Teva tells him that's against the rules, and he has to, like, think about it, and, you know, Mando kind of brushes aside, like, you already have, you know, it's a good deal, and then asks for a payment in advance, and the payment in advance was the helmet you're talking about for IG-11. And so when they go back to Navarro and Grief Karga gives Mando a key and a deed to a hut outside the main city, that's when Mando gives Karga a fully functional IG-11 to act as the new marshal since he himself won't be the marshal uh, of Navarro. And I thought it was kind of cool where the episode and season closes with Mando relaxing at that new hut with Grogu and Grogu's kind of playing with a frog in midair with the force and just kind of gives like a sense of peace for now as the episode and season ends. So I thought that was pretty cool. But my takeaways uh, for this episode... Uh, as a whole, I thought it was really, really cool. As a, as a, like just all around, because it was basically it, it picked up from where last episode left off, and it's just pretty much a nonstop action and battle. Everything come to a full head, all, all you know, in in one cool badass you know sequence. So you got, you know, I thought it was great when you got you know. 
Din Djarin fighting Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon's whooping his ass, but you also got like the two different things fighting, right? Those are fighting there, and that's important, but then you got the real armies out there fighting too. The reinforcements come in, and just like you said, when they fly at each other and they, they collide, it's really sick. It reminds me of those old Game of Thrones battles, except in the air. You know, on the Game of Thrones battles, like the horses and shit, they run and just collide at each other, and it's just chaos and madness. That's what it was like, but in the air with these Mandalorians, and it was badass, super cool. So I thought like the battle scenes were phenomenal. It was exciting. I was engaged. Like I didn't want to take my eyes off the screen, you know. And the fact that Moff Gideon was given Din Djarin all he could handle by himself, and you add the three damn Praetorian guards to it too. I'm sitting here like shit. This thing, this ain't looking good for our guy here. And, you know, and then you get Grogu to help him out, and it really kind of progressed along Grogu's abilities and powers. You're seeing him start to utilize stuff he's learned in training more and more and he's slowly growing that's another thing too we always get confused not confused but we have questions about the pacing of stuff i love the fact that they're bringing grogu along slowly so they're pacing that really well because other things are, are questionable in terms of the time and the pacing but you know the fact that he's now able to do more and like you said he uses the force to get them off Din Djarin, and then he uses the force to jump up on the little hanging things and he's doing flips and shit you know <laughs> like yeah just uh, just to get away and he gets pinned under shit, and he's you know doing all that. Then when he, that big explosion happened that you're talking about, he protects them all. How much force that must have taken from to protect them all from that huge engulfing fire, you know? And it just it was really cool because they got to kind of take back their planet and the fact that Moff Gideon set up his station on their planet as as a ruse, and it was just, you know all of that was really really cool. In uh, these. I would love to. I would have liked to see the Praetorian Guards more. Uh, I guess there could be more of them in, in the galaxy. Maybe they'll come up again. But you know, I thought they were pretty badass. I thought we would, we could have gotten a couple episodes out of them uh, in them being a real problem taking out maybe multiple of them. Because look, I'm not gonna lie. I, I think I've said it from the beginning when Paz Vizsla came into play into the Mandalorian. I knew he was gonna die. I just had a feeling. You know, I just had a feeling that he wasn't gonna last long. He's one of those guys that was very like brusque and like you know had very strong opinions on things and he's definitely a good warrior but those are the usually the guys in shows that that are not necessary for the progression of it but they usually go out and uh blaze the glory for example it's very similar to like how boromir did in lord of the rings you know like yeah. he was one of those characters very very similar he had a lot of strong opinions he was a good fighter but he wasn't necessary to get them where they needed to go and he he went out on his shield with fighting hundreds of orcs right so that really kind of gave me a lot of uh, comparison to that for Paz Vizsla and honestly I really think that maybe it'd be too soon for this but what would have been cool is to see these Praetorian Guards be a real problem and have one of them kill the armor. Because, like, how long can the armor stay around just making rules and shit now that Bo-Katan is, is supposed to be the leader of this thing? I don't think the armor is going to be around much longer either. i give her another season tops. But, uh, you know, okay, maybe a little bit longer than that. I don't know. But it's just, <laughs> I, it's just one of those things, like, I don't... I'm very confident in saying that by the end of the Mandalorian series, like this series, The Mandalorian, I don't think she'll be alive. I think she'll die in some way, shape, or form. Uh, so, you know, but it'd been cool to see the Praetorian Guards take out someone important like that as well before they met their end at the hands of a literal child and Din Djarin. So, like, <laughs> like you know, I, I think they could have used more screen time and, and really shown how menacing and that ability was. And it was really cool, too, that like we were talking about. It was showing comparisons from the first, you know, the Phantom Menace, the first episode for the prequels. It was really cool with the shield walls. And R five like taking them down one by one, and then you know that that was an illusion to it. Then on top of it, when 
Bo-Katan pulled her dark saber. All of a sudden, Moff Gideon grabs a double-sided like electric shock thing, like Darth Maul with a double-sided saber. There are some really cool comparisons there, you know. So I thought that was really interesting. Episode as a whole was really really cool. And the only things I have questions on are basically follow-up questions that I had from last week. Then we talked about some of the stuff. So it's not any new problems or new things that I've got. I mean, I've got one question in terms of a debate but that is something that you know we'll, we'll talk about in just a little bit but in terms of takeaways overall as an episode and enjoyability man that was a fun fun one i mean of all the episodes of the mandalorian that they've been so far i would say outside of luke skywalker's appearance and maybe outside of when ahsoka tano came and was battling the the magistrate there with the beskar spear this is probably my third favorite episode to date now i'd even say that it would give that episode one of the sokotano uh, that would give it out for a run for its money so it's either my second or third favorite episode so far to date of the mandalorian but i don't think i think it's gonna really beat luke skywalker fucking coming in ripping the doors off that <laughs> ship with the force just crumpling these dark troopers without using any sort of you know strength at all like he did it like he was just like ripping a piece of paper and then comes in got this like green saber and his like glove where he had his hand cut off by darth vader it was just fucking cool and he takes grogu and stuff and yeah so that i i find it hard to think any episode is going to beat that one but this one is a very very fun episode and, and probably like i said probably my third favorite uh, of all the ones to date if not the second favorite so that, those are my takeaways on it what are yours yeah i mean my thoughts are like the action was damn tops here like it was fucking awesome and like you finally got to see like the armies go at each other like that was sick um i don't really have to we talked a lot about the pacing last episode so i really don't have too much of a problem my big thing is like i don't really i'll bring this up in the debates but like now the dark dark saber is crushed <laughs> like it's just like there you are <laughs> but um it was it was great it was awesome I mean, it was it was nonstop action packed all the way through to the point you, I mean, you look away for one second, you missed it, and it was like awesome with the full circle moments they had with the forge, just like we were saying, and how you know they're all taking their oaths, and now Din Djarin, like Grogu's officially his an apprentice, and you know they went back and ig11 is now built up and he's the marshal now so like all these full circle moments that they didn't forget about but also you had you know literally non-stop action from pretty much the beginning to the end so against like the big bad that they've always been talking about so i i thought it was great i would i'm gonna give it an a minus just because i feel like I don't know if Moff Gideon should have been brought in that early, especially with, like, how we were talking about with the Forge. Like, I don't know how he just appeared there, but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to take it for what it is. But overall, I thought it was an excellent episode. I, I Like you said, I don't think, in, in my opinion, it can't top the Luke Skywalker episode. That was just fucking sick. But it, it's definitely up there with my top episodes. So it's awesome. How would you rank in your mind like on a grading scale given this season overall as a whole for season three wow that's a good question 7.8 out of 10 i can see that can you would it in your opinion is it because did it not get the eight because of like some of the pacing issues and transitions 
some of the weird cameos and episodes we had in there or was it more of uh you feel like plot holes and stuff like that were dropped so i don't i don't have any real huge big big plot holes outside of the very the one that we potentially talked about last week that we'll probably touch on here today as well i would say that i was just left confused in certain parts like what was the point of having them go to the living waters and make him be redeemed from being an apostate and banishing him to two episodes later like hey it's a free-for-all take your helmet off if you want we're all partying here baby let's go like you know like i just don't that was confusing to me and then the transitions in that episode with the doctor and elliot kane was a little bit confusing where we're we're coming back from mandalore we're fighting these tie fighters which we still have any answer of where the fuck those tie fighters came from who sent the tie fighters after them no one ever answered that and then they, they get away from it they go into hyperspace and all of a sudden we're at coruscant and he's given that summit thing that we were talking about and then we got this whole episode of them you know getting along real well Elliot Kane and Dr. Pershing and then she flips the script on him and and sets him up and fries his brain at the end and then it shifts right back to Din Djarin bringing uh, Bo-Katan to the covert it's just that that was just too messy too choppy and so I just I'm I'm left with a lot of questions and uh, it just seems a little I would say the more over more so than anything the best word to describe what I thought about this season is that it was good but it was messy it was very messy in terms of where we got to where we're getting to I think there could have been easier and more effective ways to to do what we want just and then on top of that you just mentioned the Jack Black and Lizzo thing that was fine but then you throw in a huge moment at the very end of that episode that could have been really heavily built up and been really cool when she fights Axe Woes for the the leadership position of all of the mercenary Mandalorians and then gets the Darksaber and she's the ruler again right like Mandalorian like uh, Din Djarin tells the rest of the Mandalorians they're like hey I was defeated by this enemy I was like left for dead she came and saved me used the Darksaber so Darksaber serves by rights right and you know everyone kind of accepts Bo-Katan as a leader from the mercenary Mandalorians or the Night Owls whatever you want to call them and you know that was an awesome moment but like why did we throw it in in like 10 minutes at the end when we had Jack Black and Lizzo making jokes the whole fucking episode you know yeah. so I know it, it was just messy I didn't I didn't hate it I thought the the, the storyline when it was on its actual like axis was good but then like it just seemed like it went it went all over the place in some ways and and I just left a lot of questions and confused about why things were put where and things that were done like they should have been done but I think there could have been different ways to do it to make it make more sense and you know that that's the reason why I gave it a seven eight versus you know getting an eight eight zero because you know I, I'm not gonna go any lower than that because the action was really badass all, all all the way through basically the entire season had cool action you know we're getting to the nitty gritty and starting to learn more and we you know Grogu's past got brought up a little bit we're seeing that you know it, like Keller and Beck gets brought into it and we get to see how Grogu escaped from Order sixty six and, and things like that so there's really cool things happening. But at the same time, like I said, it, just, it seemed very choppy and very messy to get to where you know we got to by the end of this season three of, of The Mandalorian. So that that's my answer on it. What do you think? Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, I'll give it as... I'll be generous. I'll give it the 8 because I like to be generous. I'll give it an 8 flat and not, not a decimal more. Not a decimal damn more. <laughs> And for those reasons, I mean, the action was phenomenal. Like, if you go into looking at, you know, if you just are a casual Star Wars fan and just love to see, like, shit blow up and 
cool ass monsters and you know people you know laser shooting people and lighting people on fire and blowing shit up it's perfect for that absolutely excellent it, getting into the nitty gritty it still wasn't like as bad as like rise of skywalker or some shit absolutely not <laughs> but getting into the nitty gritty as far as I would say, like, you know, just like how we were saying, I hate to be repetitive, but the pacing was off, and, you know, just, like, things, like, just handing over the Darksaber, like, just literally handing it over because you had a cyborg monster, like, that was the big bad to get you the Darksaber there, and now we've taken this whole journey with the Darksaber, so it can just be crushed by Moff Gideon, like, I mean, I hope they repair it somehow, or there's some significance for that. Because otherwise, what the fuck is the difference between, like, some blade that was, like, just really strong and painted? They could have found, like, some ancient blade in a cave, and if it got destroyed by cave trolls, it's basically the exact fucking same now. Like, he literally he fought the Darksaber that's supposed to be so mythical, so important, lead the way... With an electric double-sided staff, which is a non-glorified... Like, Darth Maul had the ultimate of that staff. He had the double-sided lightsaber. This is just like a glorified electric staff from that those other Red Trooper guys, I call them Red Troopers, had. Like, it's basically just an electric staff. And he whipped that ass <laughs> and crushed it in his hands. Like, now he got on this whole fucking journey... For two seasons, really three seasons about this thing, because right at the very end of the season one for this thing, and we really have no answer now besides it's just trying to get groups of factions together, and now they're taking off their helmets whenever they want because they just randomly decided that after you spent a whole episode bathing in waters just for, like, a five-minute clip that we finally saw at the end. Like, I don't know. Just like you said, it was very... I don't want to say very because I hate using the word very because I've definitely seen a shitload worse. Rise of Skywalker is messy, like extremely messy. This just wasn't, I think it could have been a lot more strategically, I think it could have been written strategically better where things were put in different places to where it was all just very i can't even use the word linear because it's not like we were using different time jumps and it's different but you know everything was just taking place at the right point in time and i feel like the problem is they had a lot of ideas that they just wanted to throw in there and then they decided like hey well maybe we use this idea really to get to this point but really all we had to do is this and we don't have a way to do that because we just used a whole episode trying to fix malfunctioning droids and telling jokes so I don't I don't know. Um, that's why I would give it the eight, just because like, and not anything more than that. Because in the end, I think there was a lot of writing issues that they could have taken pieces of this and put them in different places to still get the same linear conclusion that you're getting. But we wasted a lot of time, and then we jumped a lot of time, and in the end, it's like, wow now that I've seen this final episode, did I just waste like six hours of my fucking life <laughs> like watching this season? Like, I don't know. 
But uh, yeah, so that's my thoughts on it. What debates did you have today? Yeah, I think the biggest overall thing that you just mentioned there is you seem it seemed like you believe that this season lacked fluidity. Like it wasn't very fluid. Fluidity, you know? that's the you know, word so. I was looking for. Yeah. But uh, in terms of debates, I've got a couple, uh, and the first one here is just more of a continuation of the conversation we had last week. It's like now I can actually finally say it because it was shown on screen, but. Dude, the Great Forge and the Living Waters are like connected. They're in the same fucking room. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we've already been to the Living Waters before when Din Djarin and Bo-Katan arrived there to redeem Din Djarin. And so we already knew where that was. So why the hell do we need the survivors of Mandalore to figure out where the Great Forge was if the Great Forge is right by the fucking Living Waters that they've already been to? They already know where the fuck it is. You know what I mean? Unless this is a second, the secondary forge. This isn't the Great Forge yet. This is just another forge they built, you know, out of the, you know, they're out of their pocket in 10 minutes. I don't know, dude. But like, that's one of my problems is that, you know, if we know where the Great Forge was and it's by the Living Waters. That also means that's where Moff Gideon's base was, which means we probably should have figured out Moff Gideon was there the first time we were going there, and you know what I mean? And if it wasn't, and because the time difference is so crazy, let's say there's years between episodes or something, like, you know, that that whole the issue with the other living creatures, like, what happened to the other living creatures on the planet? What happened to the clave trolls? What happened to the, you know, big monsters? What happened to these cyborgs? What happened to all this other stuff? Like, it just, did Moff Gideon clear it out after, you know, they, the uh, Din Djarin and Bo-Katan left and made it inhabitable again? And at that point, what the hell is the point of the surviving Mandalorians who seem to be, like, struggling around? And, you know, it's just, you know, that, that that's one of the bigger things, I, questions I have is just, the, the whole forge being connected in the same room to the living waters, like, like, it doesn't make any sense just because you wouldn't need to find where the Great Forge was because you were already there. And then on top of that, if you were already there, Mokinian's base is right there too, unless he built it after they left. And again, we just don't know the biggest, you know, the biggest problem is we don't know how much time is in between episodes. So anyways, we don't need to debate that. That was just me bringing it back up to be able to speak on it freely as opposed to last week was trying to kind of keep some things down and, and um, you know not not give any spoilers so that way we can get through what we see on screen in this one but uh, my actual debate here I'll start off with this one and then see where it goes but uh, do you believe Moff Gideon's finally dead now that's a great question uh, I mean I just I don't know <laughs> I mean they always bring someone back somehow I mean here's the thing Normally, I would think, you know, like, fuck, like, dude, like, you got engulfed in flame. Like, how the fuck do you come back from that? But then you got, like, Anakin Skywalker that's in, like, a Vader suit. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe he got burned up and comes back in, like, a suit at some point. I just feel like, I mean, I don't know. I guess that's the end, and you're either going to bring in Thrawn, like, that's your plan, or, like, he's going to come back in, like, a robot suit at some point. I mean, this is Star Wars. They can do whatever the fuck they want. And he probably got burned, like, you know, has burns everywhere. And he's going to come back looking like the second Darth Vader. And he'll be, you know, out with a force because everything's animatronic. Or maybe his clone will take over. Like, I don't know. I just feel like maybe this isn't the end of Moff Gideon because... I feel like all the build-up and hype we've had around him, like, that was too quick. <laughs> like, that was it. Like, okay, like, even worse, like, I feel like he didn't get the 
I don't want to say like kill off, right? <laughs> like he didn't get the death he deserved because it wasn't like Dinjarin or Bokatan or really even Grogu like single handedly like killed him in combat. Like Bro got caught in a explosion. Like, you got caught in an explosion, bro. <laughs> like, maybe you should check your surroundings more. You're on that planet for God knows how long, and then you can't... Bro, you've taken over so many different planets, and you can't watch out for a ship that's crashing down to fucking Earth, and you've escaped from prison? Explain yourself. Please explain. <laughs> but, like, so I feel like he's got to come back at some point, but... Overall, the fight was badass. Like, it was fucking sick. Just, like, once again, every, Grogu saves the day for his people. And then here we are. <laughs> so I, I think he's... I think there's a very small 5% chance, because everyone wants a cash drop, that they could bring him back in some not form of himself. But for the original Moff Gideon that we know, I would say he's dead. If he comes back... I would imagine he would have to come back like the mountain or something or like how Anakin's Darth Vader. Like he's not that same form of himself. So I'm going to go ahead and just say his ass is grass. They're going to bring in Thrawn next season. It's going to be rushed. It's going to be messy. But hey, you know, casual Star Wars fans love it. <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> Man, so we always say on this show no one's dead until you see the body and i didn't see no fucking body so i what i think bro burned like, a lot bro got fucking cremated in front of us there's no body left there's no body to see but the ass is grass but what you're what you're missing here what you're missing chase is the fact that whatever <laughs> moff gideon whatever he put into this damn suit it made him have superhuman strength. He fucking crushed a dark saber with his hand inside that. So like, something's weird about the suit, man. I'm telling you, the suit probably kept him alive. You know that it's made of some sort of metal, some sort of stuff. Like, I agree with you that he, like, I do think he's alive. And I think he comes back, but he's probably gonna have all those burns, scorch marks on his face and body and stuff. But I don't see how you kill him like that. Just the way you said, you know, I see if you're going to kill off a bad villain, you got to kill him off at the hands of one of the good guys, not some explosion that happens on a planet and he gets burned into flames. There's no full circle with that. There's no yeah. like sense of like finality to that, especially when you don't see the body. And then you say, well, you know, there's no body because he got cremated. Well, the metal from the armor should at least be <laughs> on the ground. You know what I mean? Like, at least that should be there because that's not going to incinerate that into my, you know, like what I would guess. So, I think that the armor kept him alive because that seemed that suit seemed to have some sort of properties to it that you know made him stronger, faster, a better fighter. Like you know, so I don't really know too much about the the suit, but he was he's made too much of a point about these suits and stuff he's been creating for it not to protect him. And like you've mentioned as well, it's way too early. You know, we're in season three to get rid of your ultimate bad guy. It's way too early to do that. But it is a great time from the transition to a new bad guy and can make us forget about Moff Gideon until he makes a comeback in season fucking five or six. You know, so like it's yeah. a great time for that. But there's no way you're gonna convince me that Moff Gideon. That's just the last we see of him. There's no way. Like I, I 100% <laughs> believe that this fucker's still alive. That suit kept him alive. But he's gonna come back with an angry vengeance because he's gonna be all melted and you know his skin's gonna be all just blotched of just melted skin and it's gonna be gross and he's gonna be so mad and he's gonna try to kill him even more now because he survives and you know he hates the what he's now become because of 
the Mandalorians, and so it's going to become a problem. But I think we probably do not see him for another season or two. And, you know, I think Thrawn takes over as big bad guy. we got to find a way around this dude. And then, you know, I, I think in the shadows, it's going to make us forget that, you know, hey, we saw him off getting burned in these flames. We, like, he's gone. Don't worry about him because Thrawn's been this new guy that we've got to worry about. Then, you know, when we least expect it, guess who comes back? Melted fucking Gideon. <laughs> like, so that's what, I, that's what I think is probably going to happen there. That's my, that's my answer to that debate. Do you have anything you want to add to that before I go into my second debate? No, that was good. I, I mean, I could see it. I could see it happening. Like I was saying, like it's, uh, I, I, I can, see, I can see it very plausible. And I'll let you go into the second part. Yeah, second part is what the fuck do we do with this dark saber now, right? Is this gonna be like the blade that was broken in Lord of the Rings, where it's smashed, and then <laughs> you know they end up getting to this part where Thrawn basically is gonna exterminate all the Mandalorians, and the only way to defeat him is get this dark saber back, and so does some come on come in and then just make it like you know just bring it back to his former glory and you know the blade that was broken becomes whole once more type of deal is that what we're gonna do with this damn dark saber and then in the meantime how do we signify who leads the fucking mandalorians if the whole point was the do- who are wields the dark saber leads these guys and then that leads into maybe a third part of the debate or a third debate is that now does this mythosaur thing mean anything now that grogu's made contact with it does that signify anything for the mandalorians and their leadership and you know the hierarchy going forward now that this dark saber's fucked so i don't know man those those are some of the questions i have i'll let you kind of tackle them one at a time so like yeah i mean that was what that worked out perfect because that was really like part of my debate too so i guess will merge mine into yours because I'll ask you a question as I answer that. <laughs> what I'll say is, um, I guess the direct answer for that is now they're going to look at who can tame the mythosaur or what the connection bond is. Since they still believe Bo-Katan, since she mentioned it to the armor, that she saw the mythosaur, I think they're still going to follow her. But potentially if Grogu with his bond that he's created with this thing or however he comes in contact with it technically you could say Grogu maybe he (laughs) rises up and becomes the leader of the Mandalorian now but my reverse question to this about this Darksaber like do I think the Darksaber can't be gone I guess they're gonna like I mean if it got crushed like there's got to be some element to it on why it's so important so like they rebuild it i guess maybe because it has a symbolism is why they like it so much then otherwise what the fuck was the point dude crushed it with his hand dude crushed it with his hand bro like and that doesn't make any fucking sense because now and you see all these things too where it's like you know the dark saber has been used about against these like crazy legendary weapons. I mean, not like against a lightsaber or anything, but like holds its own. Dude, bro, crushed it in his hand. Well, that's exactly why <laughs> I think that leads to my point of there's something about that armor that Moff Gideon has that it, it gives him some sort of abilities. Like it's it's something different about it. It's not like his own grip is the thing that crushed it. Like there's like that armor has to like do some weird stuff and has some weird properties to it. I'm telling you that armor. That armor is going to be something that comes up later. I, I am, I almost guarantee it. Yeah, I mean, and you can even ask the question now, like now that it's crushed and Bo-Katan was wielding it at the time, maybe the Creeds are going to challenge her 
because they'll say maybe she wasn't the rightful wielder since it got crushed and she couldn't use it properly or something. Maybe that could be the case. But um, honestly, I really don't have an answer to your question because I want to say my direct answer is, just so you have an answer to this question, yes, they'll rebuild it. But my debate, which I'll lead into this because I have a question about this for you is if it doesn't come back what was the fucking point of that thing like we just spent two seasons learning about that wasting our fucking time <laughs> like what was the fucking point like now, uh, maybe it was their like game of thrones style where they wanted to shock the audience so bad it just got crushed because you really got to see like how big bad gideon was almost like the thanos style right like everyone thought they were going to beat Thanos on that planet with Iron Man and he still got the stone and went over it and won like maybe that was their answer for trying to do that but then if that's the question like what the fuck was the point of the past two seasons I don't know that's my thoughts yeah I, it's tough if this really is the end of the Darksaber then there really is no point of it and maybe we end up getting a secondary Mandalorian Civil War because no one knows who the leader is since there's no symbolism you know I think maybe the Darksaber is more of a symbol of you know, the, who is the rightful leader of it and it might not lead into another Mandalorian Civil War right away but it's something that could potentially come down the line but I just I, I do think it gets rebuilt uh, it just it, I feel like it's too important to, to build this thing up for so long across three seasons of the show to where you know, and we, like we haven't even seen a really cool battle scene with it. We have not seen it like dark saber versus lightsaber or anything really sick like that. So, to have it just be utterly useless and and thrown to the side and only be utilized as much as it has been wouldn't make any sense. So I, I definitely believe that this thing's going to be rebuilt. Uh, you know, and but to get to the other side of of, of this when I bring up the mythosaur and. I just think Grogu was way too young to be considered. He just he just became an apprentice, and he almost wasn't even allowed to do that. Din Djarin had to adopt him as a son before he was allowed to become an apprentice from a foundling. So it's not like all of a sudden he's he's got this uh, mythosaur on his side, and everyone's gonna follow Grogu out of nowhere. Maybe that's something that happens down the road, way down the road, like years and years. Uh, you know, Grogu can't even speak yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? He can't even talk. <laughs> so for me, it's like. What what's this mythosaur do? Like, is it, was that just uh, to wake it up? Was that the whole thing? Was that did uh, Grogu put his hand in there to wake it up, and someone else ends up you know, using the mythosaur and ends up, you know, you know I don't know if the word bonding is the right one, but you know that was the whole thing. Was that the original Mandalorian, Mandalore himself, rode the mythosaur, and, and it was kind of the, they were they were that tandem, and that's why they've got on their emblem and their sigil is that. He was they, they tamed this legendary beast, and so maybe the next leader is gonna do the same. And I think we're kind of down between three people of who that might be, right? Bo-Katan's in the play, Din Djarin's in play, maybe Grogu himself's in play. I just don't see uh, that happening anytime soon. So I definitely think the dark saber is something that needs to be rebuilt. 
I don't know if questions will arise next season about leadership because at the end of the day, Bokanetan did just lead them all to retake their homeland, so they've got to be happy with their leadership at least for the next little bit, you know? How fucking mess up would that be if, like, 10 days there, like, hey, you ain't got that dark side. I know you saved our planet. I know you <laughs> commanded all of our troops. I know you fought Moff Gideon one-on-one, -on -one and we're all here because of you. But I'm not sure if you should be the leader because that dark saber ain't in your hand, girl. I don't know. I don't know. I think, we should, I think we should question this. I think we should question who's the leader. You know, I don't know, dude. So I don't I don't think that uh, it's got to come back. It, it, it's got to be rebuilt. And if it's not, then the whole, like you, you mentioned, it was a whole waste of, of time getting this thing even introduced to us, you know. So I, I think that it's likely it does get rebuilt by who and in what way and how far down the road. I've got no idea. Maybe we have this really cool, awesome battle scene with uh, General Admiral Thrawn and the Dark the Mandalorian uses the Dark Saber there and tries to take him out or something. But there's no way that it's just gone and you know thrown into the recycling bin. I just think that would be like a huge <laughs> ass waste, you know. Uh, but you know, in the meantime, though, I do think the waking of the Mythosaur means something for for who leads going forward and those are just my thoughts on that but um yeah that that would like that's like the second part of my debate like what do you think the mythosaur what do you think that signifies now that it's awoken do you think that it's going to come to the surface is it still going to stay hidden for a while and when it does finally once one one of the mandalorians finally does come in contact with it what is that going to look like is it going to be some sort of battle between it and then it finally respects the individual enough to let it be its partner you know you know what i mean like i don't uh i'm not sure what this looks like with this mythosaur and the mandalorians going forward yeah i don't i mean i don't know i mean i'm assuming it's going to probably be brought up next season i really hope this isn't something like you know how you had the blue-eyed baby in game of thrones where they just forget about it <laughs> and they keep like putting it off and you have like one scene and it never gets answered I really hope it's not like that. I mean, I mean, I hope something comes of it next season. I would imagine, you know, it's something that maybe Grogu is going to wind up using to its advantage and will probably save their ass again at some point is what I think. I think it's really going to be Grogu that winds up, like, bonding to this thing is what I think. I mean, think about the ability he has. Like, I mean, he flips back and forth and, you know, he, he can use kind of the force to like you know manipulate things i mean i don't know but i mean now that this has happened i guess he's the one that's going to be the one to do it without them expecting him to be the only problem i have with that is like i just don't i think that's a, a heavy underutilization of grogu because i just don't see him as someone who just sits back on a throne and runs the city and civilization of the mandalorians you know what i mean like, we don't even know how his right. armor is going to look on him when he finally gets it. Dude's this big right now, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. it's tough to say. I, I don't know. I really think that... I think he's probably going to end up being the most powerful out of, out of them all. Obviously, I don't think that's much of a question. But just because you're the strongest doesn't mean you're the best to lead. And I, I, just, don't, I just don't know, because the Mandalorians have such a, a history along the way of, of who they are and who leads them. And, you know... Grogu's an entirely different species than these humans who are Mandalorians. Yeah. It's just, I don't know if it really makes sense to have Grogu become the leader of the Mandalorians. I, I think it's really going to be between Din Djarin and Bo-Katan, if I'm being honest. I think that's what's going to come down to it. And, you know, who knows who it is by the end of it all. 
But anyway, obviously Grogu's going to play major parts in things. I just don't see it where, you know, Grogu's now bonded with this mythosaur. He rides it, and that's just it. Like, I don't know. Maybe uh, yeah. it could be. I, I, I just I find it hard to believe that this species that's not human is going to rule a human species that have been around for years and years and, you know, have really established themselves as a very uh, effective group of people and you know as bounty hunters as people who are warriors fighters and you're gonna have this i don't know it's strange it it would be very interesting if that's the route they go i just don't think we've got enough time you know grogu's still a child he's i know he's 50 years old but unless these damn seasons go decades at a time i don't you know in terms of like years how many years pass between seasons unless they go decades at a time I don't see by, you know, there's no way, I don't want to say there's no way, but I would guess that there's not going to be more than 10 seasons of The Mandalorian. You know what I mean? And so if we're going by this, what, like, Grogu's going to be, if we're going to correlate it uh, with his species to human lifespan, he would probably be the equivalent of, like, a mid-20-year-old by the time this season ends, right? So I don't really know that it's uh, old enough or experienced enough to, to lead an entire civilization. So, you know, just basing on the fact that I don't think that the series is going to go... We're in season three right now. We might have seven more seasons, right? I don't think it's going to go more than ten. And that's the case. I just think that we've got to have an adult and a leader be the leader of of that group. And I don't see that as as Grogu. So, um, I don't know. Maybe that him waking up the mythosaur, touching the water, using the force, was just a way to contact it for it to, you know, be... Like, I don't want to say... Resurrected's not the word, but definitely like maybe come to the surface, and then we've got this whole thing where someone else has got to tame it. And whoever tames it is going to be the leader. So I, I don't know. I think it's going to be more of a uh, more of a split between either Bo-Katan or Din Djarin as to. I think we're going to have that like whole Danny John situation where you know Danny probably has the proper claim, not the proper claim, but like you know. Like the ability to do it, but more people want John to do it. I think that's kind of where we're at. Like, you know, Bo-Katan's obviously got us to the spot. You know, she's a, a, a very accomplished battle commander. She took the lead in, in planning all the battles in this season so far. When they had to go get that kid back from the raptor flying Aerodactyl-looking thing, <laughs> and uh, you know, all the other ones too. When they, she made the battle plans for Navarro against the pirates, she made the battle plans here against Moff Gideon. You know, so she's definitely effective and stuff, and she's got the ability. But maybe it gets to that point where, you know, maybe the children of the Watch feel more connected and see, like, Din Djarin's done more outside to help out their, their civilization and, and things, and it gets, to a, that gets to that point. I don't know. But I just, I find it hard to believe that if we go to, okay, Grogu woke up this mythosaur with the Force, he's bonded to it, he rides it, now Grogu's the leader of all the Mandalorians. Like, I just... If that's the way it goes, I think that's very silly. I just don't see it. Yeah, I no, I, I I see what you're saying. Yeah, I honestly just don't know where it really would go from here. Like, also, like, how big of a point is that going to make in this overall series is what I would want to know. But, yeah, I think you will have kind of that back and forth with the whole, like, Danny John situation with Bo-Katan and Din Djarin question where do you think and i guess this will kind of be like my debate for the day since mine was kind of more like in 
the answer to your original question there. But where do you think Din Djarin and Grogu's travels go from here? So not thinking about, you know, Thrawn and what the next threat is. Like, originally, like, when this season started, like, they were on the path where Din Djarin was going to redeem himself. Like, just to for what he did by taking his helmet off. Like, what do you think the path is? Do you think his plan is now to try to find more about Grogu's past so he can train him as an apprentice and where he came from? Or do you think he wants to learn more, teach him more about the creeds and uh, where they travel from there? Like, where do you think, what's their goal at this point, really, now that they think Moff Gibbidian is destroyed? Yeah, I think that the path going forward is going to be very... I think we're going to get a full circle of what happened in Season 1, Episode 1, where we're off just doing random missions for some credits, right? I think that's what's going to end up happening. We're probably going to start Season 4 with Grogu and and Dinjarin kicking the door down to something and dragging an Imperial Remnant away and giving them to the New Republic for some credits. I yeah, I don't think that's going to be the entirety going forward, but I think that's like where it's going to start at, and then that story is going to branch from there as things get more serious throughout the galaxy. So I think we're going to see them go to different planets. I think we're going to get interacted with new creatures, new new places, and things. And their the whole the whole deal is you know that's why I mentioned that last scene in the in this last episode of them at the him at the hut with his feet up on the porch and Gogo playing because like it's a peaceful <laughs> thing like all the the quote unquote big threats gone and so they think and so now it's going to be more about we're here to do like odd jobs like on a contracted basis like you mentioned earn some credits that's what he is he's a bounty hunter so i think we're going to we're going to do that and along the way we're going to probably unlock more about Grogu's past and then I do think that Din Djarin is going to teach him more about the way. Like that's the whole point of being having an apprentice is teaching him the way. Just like Qui Gon Jinn taught Obi Wan the way of the Jedi, and Obi Wan subsequently taught Anakin or tried to before Anakin like went batshit. But um, <laughs> in any event, I think that's going to be the the case. Is that you know Din Djarin is going to really teach Grogu more and show him the way of the Mandalorian. And in effect, as that goes on, we're going to start getting bigger and, and deeper glimpses into Grogu's past and maybe some characters from that past come up again, specifically Keller and Beck, the Jedi that got Grogu out of there, out of Order 66 and was able to get him out of there to safety. Maybe he comes back into play along the travels that they have as bounty hunters and they meet new people. Maybe that's someone they bump into by happenstance. Then we get more of the backstory of Grogu and things of that nature. So that that's what I where I see it going like in the immediate future before the next big threat is revealed. Do you think that as an apprentice and, you know, the master and the apprentice with Din Djarin and Grogu, do you think it will ever come to a point where Din Djarin, because Grogu is a different species and the power he holds, that he can, you know, to tap into his abilities? And based on things where he already learned, whatever he learned with Luke, we really have not much insight at all into that at all. But do you think there will ever be a point as Grogu, Grogu continues to learn and grow, where Din Djarin feels like he won't be able to teach him because it's basically an ability that he can't uh, help him master, basically, because he has abilities that are so different. Maybe, but I think that's the point where 
where Grogu becomes a full-fledged Mandalorian. I don't think that happens in this season. I probably don't think it happens in the season afterwards, but maybe, you know, season six or so. Uh, that that could definitely be the case. I think that's going to be one of those things very similar to the Jedi structure where eventually, you know, Jedi a Padawan and an apprentice becomes a Jedi Master after, you know, utilizing enough abilities, getting a good knowledge about the, the civil, like their their community and what they do and what they're there for. You know, the Jedi are supposed to be peacekeepers and, you know, this and that. And so I think it's going to be very similar that there's going to be a cap to the, how much Din Djarin can teach him before Grogu's his own is a Mandalorian in full. I think that's the way I'll answer that. And do you think at any of that point you would ever have someone like Ahsoka come back and try to teach him or anything like that? Maybe, but I just don't know the necessity for it just simply because at that point he's probably adult enough to to do things. I mean, I guess that would kind of underutilize his, his Force abilities and it would be cool to see Grogu kind of become a Jedi and a Mandalorian, you know, see him catch a a small lightsaber similar to Yoda, uh, but you know, I just I don't I don't know if that happens in the Mandalorian. That could happen maybe in a separate series. Maybe once the Mandalorian ends, maybe Grogu gets his own show, and that yeah, that kind of goes from there. You know, I think that's a possibility. I don't necessarily know if that's going to happen or not, but uh, it would be cool to see uh, Grogu continue to train, but and learn new things instead of just being a Mandalorian. You can also be a Jedi as well, and you know, just really kind of be the best of all worlds, so to speak. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, cool, awesome. You want to close us out for the day? Any other closing thoughts you had? I've got nothing, man. I'll, I'll go ahead and close us out. And uh, you know, so if this is your very first time listening to us, we are really happy that you decided to tune in, and really hope that you enjoyed what you heard. If you've been here since day one, thank you for continuing to be the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. In terms of where you can find us, we are on all social media platforms. You can find us on Instagram at official ridiculous patronus, on TikTok at ridiculous patronus, backup Instagram at fact underscore or underscore fantasy, backup TikTok at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. We have our Facebook fan page, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We're on YouTube at Ridiculous Patronus. We have our own site, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. We're on Twitter at RP Factor Fantasy, Snapchat RP Factor Fantasy. So please follow, click like, subscribe, comment, leave reviews, do all of the things because the audience engagement really helps us out here and we really enjoy going back and forth with everyone. Uh, in terms of the podcast specifically, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. So if you're an Apple user, we're on Apple Podcasts. If you're a Android user on Google Play, we're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, uh, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean, our host site. Anywhere you get your podcasts, Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy are there. But we are out for the day because this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy, signing off. off.